Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Amy Ichikawa, who is the head of Women to Women nonprofit, which is focused on helping women in prison and out of prison. And in this conversation, we talk about the laws around gender and prison in California and how that is enabling male criminals to at will room or be imprisoned with females and the fallout of that, which as you might imagine is not pretty. Amy's doing fantastic work. I've linked to her works down in the description. Definitely check her out if you feel so moved. Definitely support her. I really believe in her cause and her heart. So without further ado, here is Amy Ichikawa. So what, what's, what's the matter with the world and what are you doing to, to save it? Uh, well, um, I am trying to stop the female erasure inside the women's prison. Um, because one of, one of the reasons being is that, um, I strongly believe that this is, a test run for what's in store for the free world. Um, I really believe that women's prison, probably all prisons are ground zero for a lot of socioeconomic testing. Um, they always have been. And uh, this is just another one of their science projects that uh, is just dehumanizing to the point of um, I just know that 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 people in the free world are not going to be able to handle the level of erasure that's currently taking place inside the prisons. Are you yeah. um what, what's your history with prison? Oh, well, uh I um I am formerly incarcerated. I served um 5 years inside of uh Central California Women's Facility. Um, and I just left a real big piece of my heart in there. It's where I learned the value of the importance of the female face. Um, I learned about what it really means to, to be a woman, how it's, it's very special. Um, I learned how to value myself in there. I learned I was worth more than nothing. And uh, I just feel that I totally owe it to the population to do whatever I can to make sure that they're all treated with respect and dignity, not just a small privilege group. Um, they've never had women's rights in there. So it's very uh, off-putting to see people coming from the men's prison with women's rights that these women have never experienced during their incarceration. Um, I mean, we'll get into it more, but it's, it's, 
like next level degrading um it's pretty humiliating so before we get into that issue which is a mm -hmm. bigger issue than um one would suppose because i don't think people really much have time or energy to devote to conceptualizing criminals uh, right. out of sight out of mind that's how we've uh learn to deal with that um but you mentioned about the growth the personal growth that you experienced during your incarceration was that the climate there was that something about the program was there like a wake-up call for you with that with your judgment and then that initiated that or or was it the other women that you met there and and the bonds that you made and how did those develop what was the climate like for you uh, well, I, I, I feel like, um, I did pretty well. I, I probably would have done great in the military. Uh, I just chose a different route, but, uh, being in a women's only space and having a very set program and, um, not having any choice but to get along and figure out how to make things work with seven other women because the housing situation there are eight man eight person cells um eight person cells and um very little options to not get along <laughs> yeah how are they set up these cells is it one room with eight beds or is it kind of like semi rooms <laughs> It's it, there. There are locked rooms um, with four bunk beds. Whoa. Um, it was originally designed to house four people, and at some point they introduced the the bunks, doubling the occupancy of these rooms. There's um, you know tall lockers, one for each person, that uh, creates some division in the room. Uh, so there's there's a bunk one bunk two, three, and four. Uh, there's a, a toilet, there's a shower, there's two sinks, there's a window that faces the outside, a window that faces the inside of the hallway, and there is um, the door that goes to the hallway that is is, is locked. Um, there's, it's a very small space. It's, it's already very intense sharing that with seven other women. So you introduce others into the population and it gets even more intense yeah um we're gonna get there yes this is a really um i don't know what to, i guess dehumanizing um might be one word or at least a steep downgrade from what i'm used to are is the toilet and the shower like that's just just standing they're just there there is there some sort of stall is there bodily There's privacy um minimal it's very it's it's minimal um there there's kind of like a cowboy door you know um it, oh, okay. it covers the midsection Saloon. yeah you can see from the neck up that that actually the the chest up depending on how tall or short you are and you can see the feet and legs at all times um so there's it's very limited privacy which is to be expected you're in prison nobody's expecting um anything different than that um, and and are the groups uh they're just kind of randomly assigned or is there any kind of calculation about violent or offense or anything like that no 
Not in the women's facilities. Women's facilities are not divided by um, crime level or security level. Um, they're completely blended. You can have serial killers in with petty thieves. Um, and it has never posed a real issue. Um, there's violent and nonviolent all housed together. And it has worked. Um, it is not the same in the men's prison. It's everyone is separated by security level. Uh, but when transfers come from the men's prison, they are put directly into general population, regardless of the nature of their uh, commitment. The nature of their commitment. I like that euphemism. Great. So, so there's all these, um, I don't even know um, the history of uh, prison, but I'm sure that there was, I, I guess there's probably always been a female prison, but like there's been more males in prison than females throughout history. And so men have been studied a little bit more or mm. the experiment, let's just say has been run on men a little bit more. So there's been empirical knowledge that's gathered over time about the nature of masculine criminality, sociopathy mm -hmm. uh, and psychology. And so they've organized the male prison to separate men depending on their violence level or whatever. And somehow if a man declares his womanhood or declares womanhood for himself, let's say all of that knowledge evaporates overnight and he's put into this other system. No questions asked. Yes. And problems occur. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's, there's, the process is very, uh, uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, there's no, you cannot deny someone um, the request to transfer. Um, any denial can't be based on sexual orientation, physical anatomy, criminal history. Um, those are all deemed discriminatory. Um, criminal history is deemed discriminatory. <laughs> Yes. in a prison like that yes. doesn't so, even make so, sense this is california right this is like p yes. california okay so so imagine that means people with a long history of violence against women or children sex, or children sex crimes included are uh you can't use that you cannot hold that against them and if there's ever been anyone in the women's prison with the same charge then it's completely uh exempt from any kind of judgment. So if there was ever a woman in the women's prison convicted of aggravated rape, then that that's it. It's, it's written in the, in the law specifically. Um, and there are very few who have been convicted of sex crimes. So because of that, it completely opens the door for anyone else. Well, so if there was um, just to try to flesh out, what you're sharing if there was a uh, a female mass shooter if there mm -hmm. hadn't been a female mass shooter then a male who's a mass shooter would not be put in the female prison but as soon as there is a female mass shooter then then due to the nature of equity th that man or that crime is is uh, necessarily just regarded as a female crime and and there's no strictures around a male do you know why or what the reasoning is that like it's just kind of an anti-discrimination law that is taken to such a perverse and uh, misogynistic uh, 
extreme that people are taking sadistic pleasure in submitting women to men? I mean, like, what is going on? Um, Why would they do this? When the first time I read the law, it just, my initial reaction, the first vibe I got from it was that the author must hate women very, very much. And I read it again and again and again, I still get the same feeling because there is no benefit whatsoever to any trans identified person who isn't born male. Trans men do not benefit from this policy at all. Do you, are you aware of any trans men or female to male transitioners who have opted for male prison? Yes. They okay. just transferred one um, trans man uh, with actually with the trans, a post-op trans woman who decided to go back to the men's facility because it was unbearable in the women's prison. For the trans identified male or the trans woman, it was unbearable because yes. of the dysphoria or because of the shame? Because of the deliberate indifference of the staff towards the women's needs and their cries for help. Um, this person called and, you know, said, I can't handle it here anymore, Amy. I'm going to have to go because, um, if one more woman looks at me with tears in her eyes, just begging for help. I, I just, I can't take it. This is, this is horrible. Out of 30 years of this person's incarceration, 30 years in Pelican Bay, you know, uh, San Quentin, this person said this is the most unsafe they've ever felt. And this is the trans man or the, the trans woman? The trans woman. So something initiated a deeply, I would, I would even say a deeply um, heroic masculine virtue in this criminal that I can't believe that women are being treated this way and that women feel this way and I have to get away. Good God, that's really intense. Mm-hmm. I mean, we cried, we cried about it together. Yeah. And I, okay. Well, you just experienced misogyny. I... <laughs> Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, it was a shocker because that was, um, I, I don't even know how to really explain that to people that. Well, what's your relationship to this person? Um, you know, we've become friends over the past uh, about year uh, because I have done my best to um, build relationships and alliances with the trans community because you know, at the end of the day, I never, I, I have no idea what's really going to happen. So there has to be alliances with people in other facilities if there is a forced full integration. And if more people decide to go to the men's prisons, I need to have people over there that I can maintain contact with oh, to God. know if they're okay. Um, so what you're doing not intentionally, but I see what could possibly doing in this horrific like movie version that's playing out in my head. What you do is you enlist males to be prison guards in female prisons to protect the women against the men. 
and maybe somehow you figure out a reduced sentence for the prison guard criminals or something like that's where it's going conceivably where men um, opt into women's prisons just for the sake of because i mean in in you know like like in in prison lore i've never been to prison but you know, if, if somebody's a nonce or a pedophile or something like that or beats women, they're, they're treated like crap. There is some sort of honor among the criminals. So you can conceivably seeing these hyper-masculine criminal guys exploiting the system in order to do something good with their lives and kind of make it up to God and women or whatever. Well, it's not... It's a little, it's a little weirder, even weirder than it's that. It's even because, weirder than that. <laughs> because this person, this person is, 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 you know, post-op trans that came. And, and so this is, this is somebody like living as, you know, their authentic self as a woman who did, um, I think, hold back a lot of what, what is, what they're experiencing now, um, because this was the only person who uh, was taken seriously when um, complaints were made or lodged to correctional staff. Um, this person would have to, in some cases, advocate for the women or um, explain, you know, the shenanigans that was going on with the other transfers. Like they're manipulating. This is not true. This is a pattern behavior. Uh, because if the, the the women are not only afraid to speak out, but if they do, there's there's repercussions. There's consequences. Um, there's retaliatory actions taken um, from the authorities. Mm -hmm. They're scared to to say anything. Could you gloss some of these retaliatory actions, like extra soup duty or something like that, or like solitary or? Well, I have. Um, a couple of good friends that uh, lodged a inmate 602, which is a formal complaint about the implementation of this law and how it was negatively impacting them. And they were put in administrative segregation. They lost their honor dorm privileges. Um, one of them actually lost her uh, parole suitability after serving 20 years without any infractions. They... Uh, hit them both with harassment and false reporting, um, serious rules violations. To and the best of your ability, what were they complaining about? Um, they were complaining about the uh, lack of privacy, um, about how their their well-being and mental health is not being taken into consideration at all. Uh, and they used a specific incident um, with a specific individual um stating that this wouldn't even be happening if this law wasn't in place um but the you know the write-ups that were a direct result of those of those complaints um all the procedural aspects were were wrong um the timing was 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 wrong they they went past the number of a lot of days um everything just was was it was not, uh, it, yes, it was not in accordance to policy that's currently in place. I, they couldn't have gotten away with this in the men's prison. Let's say that. Um, she, th this one, one woman, she lost her parole suitability. And this was before her write-ups were adjudicated. So she wasn't found guilty or not guilty yet. 
they just took her parole date back. A um, couple months later, both charges were dropped. So you would think since the reasons for them revoking the parole no longer exist, you would reinstate. No. No. Why wouldn't they want to get her out of the prison if she's a troublemaker? Um, I think personally, I feel she's like the linchpin. Um, everyone is sitting by and watching just on the edge of their seats, seeing what they're going to do to her. Are they going to let her go? Or are they going to let her go? Um, at one point, uh, one of her attorneys um, wanted her to make a letter of public apology to the individual named in the used as, as an example in the inmate complaint and um, asked that she elaborate on her, um, you know, strict religious upbringing that caused her transphobia and her ignorance as to the plight of the trans woman and that she had been doing book reports and educating herself to uh, serve as a, you know, better steward in uh, the woman's uh prison. A lawyer's a lawyer is going to throw anything at the wall. So I don't really necessarily fault the lawyer, but that's even plausible. It, I mean, I have, I have, <laughs> I have the template letter somewhere here. It, it, it's, it's pretty bad. She's was basically asking that this woman denounce her faith and, uh, you know, bow down to the God of gender. And there was no guarantee that this was going to benefit her in any way. It's just something that they want to done. Um, and I believe that, you know, the, the prison functions very much on a hive mind. And they know that people are going to just follow suit, whether it benefits them or not. That's just the way it's going to happen. And she held the line. She did not write this letter of apology. She is not going to. She has a new attorney. And... Um, I, I just feel like that that was the goal. They wanted this lady to be so sorry for being a woman and so sorry for standing up for herself so that that would um, set a trend inside. <laughs> but they're just, everyone is waiting. They're just waiting because they it, it, it's, nobody's ever seen this happen before. Um, someone just lose their date and they all know it's, 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 a form of retaliation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure it's a um, vulnerable and very personal time for you, but um, insofar as you're willing or able just to understand um, what it's like to be in a female prison and in order to get a, a view on how it changes when a male enters the room, like, like what kind of, what, what changed about your relationship to your body being stripped of your privacy? What changed about your relationship to your, your just your your sense of self being so crammed in? And and how did you adapt to that and and cope with that and and survive and then maybe even thrive? Because you said that it did. Well, well I was I was really lucky. I was released in two thousand and thirteen. So the only experience I had. Um, in this area was um, very like hands off. Uh, the law hadn't been implemented yet. It wasn't even a thought. There was just a, a case by case policy situation where if it was a security measure, um, they would deal with it on an individual basis. And when I was there, um, I think it was 2011, maybe maybe 10 or 11, 
there was a serial uh, convicted serial rapist who uh, they decided to move into CCWF. Um, and this person, you know, committed these um, rapes in the same county as the prison. So the women that were locals were familiar with this case. Uh, and this is a female or a male? It's a man, a okay. man who mutilated himself uh, in order to convince the committee to reassign him as a female. And this person was really combative when they came very hostile, very angry. They had to keep the person in observation for some time. Um, and then What's observation they, is that kind of like, uh, semi isolation. isolation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, it would call home every day and just hysterical. You. Uh, yes and I, because i couldn't believe that this was happening i was was like very my feelings were so hurt i couldn't believe that the state was letting a convicted serial rapist with a half a penis move into the women's prison and I, I it was just the shock and my family thought i was losing my mind and they were like uh, are you okay <laughs> Yeah. And I said, no, this is serious. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm not exaggerating. There's really a rapist here. And uh, it, I think there was an article in the Daily Breeze or the LA Times. And then they were, then they believed, oh, wow, this is actually happening. Um, there is, you know, 90% of incarcerated women are survivors of some form of sexual abuse. So... It's not like the Department of Corrections doesn't know that. It's not like the state legislators don't know that. They know. Um, so I felt like this was so callous and um, so hateful. Uh, did it disturb more than you? I mean, how did that shake up like the community and the culture of your fellow inmates? Everyone was shocked that, that this was really happening. You know, like there's always... The understanding that that the system hates us, you know, um, that's just something that you kind of deal with. You don't really think about it. Yeah. But this was such a blatant, callous act of of hate that uh, everyone was pretty sad and tense. The 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 tension, the very pensive, um, hyper vigilant, and this person was on. B yard. I was on a completely on C yard. People even on D yard were scared. You know, this just sent out the hive mind is is a strong thing. So, mm. and it's it, it's kind of a hive heart too because the emotions are very uh, socially contagious. So, yeah, when one group is in crisis, it's felt throughout the population. Yeah. What's what's and, the relationship generally at that time for your experience between? the inmate community and the guards and then the authorities were the guards chill or are they like up like just where the rubber meets the road in the system that loathes um, you as a cause? during this period about 10 you know 10 years ago there were a lot of more seasoned um, correctional officers a lot of the ones that were like dads honestly um the ones that had developed relationships with these people over years, over decades for some, um, they had watched 
you know, juvenile offenders come in and grow into women. And yeah. Um, yeah. we all have, you know, pretty, um, I think, solid relationships with um, staff that would commiserate, you know, try and be supportive, you know, hey, it's going to be all right, guys. Hmm. Um, that's pretty much gone. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Do you there's think because there's a culture problem. shift or just the attitude of the um, like top I, down? Kind of? A lot of the um, more seasoned correctional staff chose to go into early retirement when this happened. And I would like to think it's because it was so difficult to watch. Um, wow. And there's a major influx of younger, um, very a lot younger uh, correctional officers that don't have the mentors or the guidance from the older officers that would have been extremely beneficial in, especially in, during this time, because there's no concern for, um, you know, how do we diffuse this? How do we deescalate this? It's just, there's no, they don't care. Um, and What's... they're, it, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. No, no, don't, don't apologize. I'm sorry to interrupting. What's, what's the, what's the sex distribution for admin and the correctional officers? Like mostly male. It's mostly I male. I mean, yeah, a large percentage is male. There's female officers, but, um, it's, it's definitely not anywhere near 50, 50. Um, and, and a lot of people, will, especially a lot of women, will say, we need to get all the male correctional staff out of there. And I wouldn't recommend that because there's um, a lot of women that have a problem taking direction from other women. It's difficult to listen to other women. So uh, <laughs> there needs to be a balance. Um, so... <laughs> You spent five years locked away with women. You got you. You must have learned something not only about yourself as a woman, but like the way that women operate as women in in a group. Um, I'm just wondering, like sociologically, to, to abstract and I all all due respect um, for your experience. Like, what 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 have you learned? about the female uh, psychology, group psychology, um, and empower dynamics, maybe? Um, We're very complicated. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> We're very complicated. I, huh. I love this very much, but it's, it's quite a challenge. Um, it's really hard to get women to stick together on issues. Um, and I see the same patterns here. There's a lot of division among the ranks and um, it is reminiscent of experiences in prison, but then in prison, when you're in that this locked situation where you have no choices, when, when it's time to get down, it's time to get down and everybody's got to, you know, come together on some level. Um, there's some sense of solidarity. Uh, but there's still a whole lot of infighting right, right now. As a matter of fact, we're experiencing there's like a huge crisis. Um, and I keep trying to drive the point home that um, none of this matters. Nothing. None of these, you know, uh, none of this minutia, none of this um, non personality conflicts. Uh... 
distractions and, and, on on yes. on petty All things. Okay. Very petty distractions. They they are so dangerous because mm-hmm. it's taking everyone's attention off of what they need to focus on, which is all of the transfers that are taking notes of every eye roll, every hair flip, every conflict. They are looking for the weakest link. They are plotting and planning and including this in their plans for the takeover. Um, Everything is being observed. These are experts. These are tacticians. Um, These are, are, are people who have perfected their craft and they're showing so much weakness. And it's the same thing like on Twitter, for example, when there's infighting. It's just giving the playbook to the opposition. Here's how to disrupt us, yeah. And I try to encourage people, women all the time, got to take it off the field. Got to take it off the field. Hmm. Uh, Because they will play off of those those differences, those... um, altercations those those disagreements and chip away at it until there's nothing left we have to start thinking like in war terms because that's what this is yeah and i don't know when people are going to take it seriously but this is definitely this is war now war for what our existence just simply to exist as women i think is is what is being threatened and um, as great at great risk, yeah. it's um, so it, it, they they almost got it. Like if if it progresses any more in the women's prison, I'm I mean I'm gonna do everything I can to not allow that. But what do you see? Worst case scenario, and, and make it PG thirteen if possible. We can get a little R rated, but it's going to be pretty nasty, isn't it? Um, it? Yes, it's just going to be. I mean, I believe the plan is um, to have men's prison and everyone else's prison, so as not to eliminate the other space, but just just take like sports. Away, yes, just take away the woman out of everything, and. Um, watching yourself slowly, not even slowly be erased, but to be erased is, is a painful process that I do not think women on this side of the wall are prepared for. Um, it's, I understand the, the, the concept of erasure, but unfortunately that's just a bureaucratic or administrative, uh, it's a word game erasure because the men who go into women's prison and end up raping women are not erasing women. They're doing the opposite of racing women. Um, they're they're affirming the woman in the worst possible way um, through violence. Um, so I just want to make that point clear um, that even saying that you're being erased is glossing over the depth of uh, of the abjectness of the outcomes of what's going on. Not to put a fine point on it. Um, it's. Um... It's, yeah, it is really deep. It's, I don't even know how to explain the level of humiliation that's going on. This will help. Yeah. This will help. There's some women I know that are in great need of breast reductions. Um, Bulging discs, fused vertebra, shoulder deformities. Um, They've all been denied breast reductions by medical 
because this is being deemed as cosmetic. Cosmetic. However, uh, don't say it. Oh no. The transfers, there's, you know, they're just waiting for their breast implants and which aren't you know, cosmetic at all. They're life affirming. Somehow this is life affirming. And I don't recall ever in the history of the department of corrections, a man dying of not get, getting breast implants or anyone dying from having a penis or a vagina either. Uh, but this is what women, they have to watch. So when I was there Tuesday, uh, I was actually talking to one of the women and I was like, oh, we're going to, you know, just, just, we're going to find somebody to take this case on because that's, this is crazy. About the she, breast reduction or, okay. And, you know, there's a visible deformity here. You know, her shoulders are, are permanently indented like deep yeah. and, um, she said on her way out to the to the event we were at together, uh, one of the transfers walked up to her and said, ooh, I'm going to catch up and get like you soon. I just got my surgery trying to get like you. <laughs> like, how, how much, how insanely degrading yeah. and wow. dehumanizing is that? Um and I don't know how the state is justifying these procedures. I have asked for a list of um, what is all included in gender affirming health care, the costs and um, the frequency. So I'm really looking forward to that information. Um, Do you think they're going to share it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Medical is a lot uh, uh, more giving with the information than um, the, the rest of the department. Um, no, and I don't want specifics. Like I, yeah. I, I don't want to violate any HIPAA laws. I just want some statistics. And yeah, they're going to gonna suppress that information as soon as they see that it's damaging to the ideology. Um, so Godspeed your FOIA request. I am really. Get to, I get them in as often as possible. Um, but yeah. you know, this okay. last year has been difficult. The 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 previous year information was a little bit more accessible but they are you know reining it in yes but that's not all um there's no requirement to have srs to get the breast implants um so you can remain intact and get the breast implants um so this is all kind of playing into some kind of bizarre fetish um, I think there's even discussion uh, with someone who wants to retain their current anatomy and have a vagina added. Um, so, I mean, if that gets approved, I'm just, I'm going to blow it. Um, State-sponsored hermaphrodism? Right. That's not life saving in any way i mean it's still in the discussion stages but to even entertain that is i think just it's unbelievable wow i mean do taxpayers not and they don't know I, there's no way they can know what they don't know but 
this is what the $14 billion budget is uh, partially being used on. Okay, for, $14 billion. What, what was this earmarked as, like in total? Is this just healthcare for correctional facilities? Um, no, that's for the whole Department of Corrections. Okay. But that's so much money that they could definitely hire somebody to make some better decisions. Um, <laughs> I don't think. That's a whole other conversation about why it got this way. Beyond the morality, it's the ineptitude of governance. Governance. It's so California-esque. Um, but it gets worse. <laughs> oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, Bring it on, you know, Amy. They're doing their best to clear out death row because there's the new California model that they're implementing that is supposed to be reminiscent of the Norway model. Um, interesting. So what are you going to do with all of the fellas that have not voluntarily come off of death row yet. I have an idea that I'm hoping it's inaccurate. Um, that so far, two um, people off of men's death row have changed their gender identity and been moved into women's general population off of men's death row. And the they're, both of their ex- wives um, were putting in for emergency transfers to get away because there are very limited options as to where you can go. There's only two women's prisons out of all 36 in the state of California. And since they're both lifers, um, the state pushed back because there's no electric fence at the other prison. So they were initially denied their requests. Um, Sacramento denied them. Uh, so it was it was such a horribly sad, dark time. Um, it was so, so, so sad. Uh, you know, my heart was just breaking because it was almost time. They were, they, they were almost there. And these women are in fear for their lives. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. Just to clarify. So two men... Uh, on death row identified as women and then were transferred or were going to be transferred into the same prison as their ex-wives. Is that what you're saying? Um, so they were married to other prisoners in some sort of conjugal. Co-defendants. Co like they were co-defendants um, in their, their, their crimes. Um, so is there a death row for women in California? There is. There is, and um, they're clearing that out as well. Uh, okay. They're eliminating all death row residencies. Um, since there's a moratorium on the death penalty anyway, it okay. doesn't really make any sense to have people housed in that level of segregation. It's expensive. Um, but, you know, there's, again, a huge difference between what women's death row and men's death row is like. So... Um, it seems un, not very logical to do this, but it's been done. Um, luckily, that the, the transfers were granted right on time, and both women were allowed to leave the prison before their ex-husbands got to. Okay, so the, the men were going to be put in with the, their ex-wives, and the ex-wives got the hell out of Dodge. Okay. And was there a likelihood that they would have been um, 
subjected to bad things. I mean, one of the women, the last thing that her ex-husband said, I think the last time they saw each other, he was like, I'm going to kill you. Um, and, um, you know, I think he got on to death row because he commissioned a, a murder from inside, had one of his own family members killed from, from, he made that order from the inside. So this is someone who's, you know, criminal thinking hasn't really changed a whole lot. If anything could, seems like it's gotten worse, uh, so that that so those kind of activities don't disqualify you from transferring. Like there is an individual who killed another man in the men's prison, and he, you know, was serving time for a one eighty seven, and then killed another man inside of the prison, and then transferred to the women's prison. Okay. And I thought that that would be um, something that would uh, disqualify someone from being able to transfer over. So I kept asking the state, what is what is a reason for denial? What is a reason for denial? And finally they just said there isn't any. Okay. So by default they will go because there's a review board that you can um, grieve your denial to if you do get a denial. So by default you will go. Okay, and this review board is ideologically uh, gendered ideological. It's supposed to be uh, a representative of, of each area of of a prison administration. It's supposed to be the uh, wardens from the women's prison, uh, medical staff, uh, counselors. Um, it's a very long list. That's a lot of hours being invested in this. Yes. Yeah. This this one wonders how so many people who are probably rather competent in various different ways have their, their, their brain has been shut off about this. Cause you have to actually be as blind as possible to not see this. I think a lot of them do um, see it. And a lot of people's hands are tied. Okay. Uh, their careers are at stake and they have no choice. I don't understand that personally because I just wouldn't do it, but yeah. I know not everybody. Well, the system would probably kick you out. I mean, it seems like the system is selected for weaklings, um, hypocrites, and um, cowards. Yeah. What do you see as the hope? I know um, Jackson and Bone are working on some legislation um, and I've interviewed them before. Beautiful, wonderful women. Um, they're working on legislation or working on lawsuits or something like that to get the ball mm -hmm. moving on the legal aspect. What do you see is absolutely necessary steps going forward? Um, I, I suppose raising awareness is probably pretty key. Uh, most definitely. I think once the taxpayers know that um, this is what their money is going towards it will be impactful. You got to hit everybody in the pockets because that's the only thing that really matters. Essentially, hmm. uh, there has to be some either amendments to this this law, or um, there has to be a sister bill in place to ensure that women are treated with this respect, agency, and dignity that suddenly became available to 
a small group of incarcerated people. Because, well, I mean, just initially just reading the name of the bill, I was like, respect agency and dignity. First of all, agency is number one to go incarcerated. Why would anybody, why are you giving that away? Um, that's nice, but that's not what you have when you're incarcerated. Um, dignity, what, that, it, that, wow, that's a bonus. Um, well, boners. <laughs> yes. And then respect. Respect. Um, yeah. I had no idea that that was in the package, you know, but there has to be some something put in place. It's very, very difficult to find anyone who's willing to even discuss this in legislation. Um, there are a few who... Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. And my response, okay. yeah. I'm trying to, 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 you know, polish it up a little bit. But initially my response was, well, why are you surprised? You voted yes for it. You fully supported this. And um, yeah. you women's caucus, um, you entire, uh, everyone but nine elected officials in California supported this. And um, it's really hard for me to believe that none of them know how to read because I think that was probably a requirement to be a senator. And, and there's no way they missed this. Hmm. Um, it just, it, the law is very short. It's not like the 17 page legislation. It's just two pages. Um, you know, it, it, I don't think that um, politically um, it's, they just passed a bill to abduct children um, from their parents of, uh, if the child, um, shows up. So the, the trans thing, if, if they say no to the prison, then they're going to have to say no to abducting children from their parents and then uh, medically experimenting on them and sterilizing them for life. Yes. And you know what? We we're working on that too, because I know we have to start chipping away at the top and then my friends are going to be able to eventually benefit from the trickle down. So yeah. There's a lot of research that went into um, juvenile life without parole sentencing, giving um, juveniles life sentences. All of that research is going to be able to completely discount everything that they're doing medically because that research that the state paid for um, hmm. shows that the part of the brain that is responsible for Exactly. understand consequences and um such is not fully developed uh obviously until like what 25 so how if a kid can't understand that there's consequences to taking a life how do, then do they understand the consequences of permanently medicalizing themselves yeah um, so well, I know... it's not about consequences. The, the, the idea of the trans child um, is so infectious that it's like, of course, they are who they say they are. And everything else is suspended. Like, like, well, they're not, they're not able to drive this fast car or get a tattoo because that is not the same as this trans kid thing. It's got a very magical, very powerful pull to it. It's an insane idea with a, just it punches way above its weight. I'm actually, I admire the idea for how powerful it is. It's... It is magical, isn't it? It's, um, well, it's money, money, money and, hmm. and sterilization and California eugenics, really. Um, this all Cal ties in California eugenics. They've been doing it forever. It's it's just a California tradition. 
it never ever stopped and and I, I i don't know really how to get that point across fully to people there was the all of the forced sterilizations and the for uh, mental the, handicapped people right right yeah. when that was the department of mental health that just turned into the department of corrections where it continued it was just um maybe two years ago that the state had to settle with hundreds of women for the forced sterilization that was occurring when I was there. I didn't understand why so many women were going out for surgeries. Why do you guys all have cysts that you're having removed? When in actuality, they were getting full hysterectomies. Were they being lied to? Mm-hmm. We're going to go in and take out some fibroids. Um, we're just going to take out one ovary that's not functioning. And, you know, they would come home, go to the doctor and the doctor would say, when did you have your hysterectomy? And the women would say, what are you talking about? I didn't have a hysterectomy. Well, yes, you did. And then that's when um, the lawsuit started. What the fuck? They're getting, everybody was so excited about the $7.5 million settlement for reparations from the state. And I said, what are there only seven of you? Cause there's hundreds, which breaks down to $15,000 per woman who was given a forced hysterectomy. There's a woman I know who doesn't have any families. So I'm her power of attorney and the check came and I just, I opened it and I just, I started shaking. I was crying because how can you just, this is what you're valuing this woman's reproductive system at, at $15,000. Um, that's not really sufficient. Uh, the doctor never had to apologize. Um, Do you know Dr. why they were doing that? Or there was a reason? Why Dr. Heinrich was doing this? Because he said he was saving the state money and doing them a favor. Because these women were just going to keep having more children that would end up in the system and be in the prison eventually anyway. Um, and why didn't he do the same with males? Oh, because he's a gynecologist. He didn't get to do that to the men. Okay. Um, and I, I'm guessing he probably hates women a lot anyway. Um, but that, I mean, people have no idea. When I tell them that that happened, there's a really good documentary called The Belly of the Beast. And... Um, it's 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 won some awards it's very uh disturbing uh to understand the level of depravity and the 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 frequency of this happening it's crazy you'd think we were in nazi germany or something um but we're in california but we're in california <laughs> <laughs> so it's Nazi Germany with some peace signs tacked on instead of swastikas. Jeez Louise. Yes. Mm-hmm. Horrific. Horrific. Um, can can I switch gears just a bit? And um, this might turn off some people to the conversation, uh, or, or you might know, not want to enter, answer this, but I'm just curious about the role of faith in, in your own arc of going through prison and, and, uh, and, and then doing the work you do now. Is, uh, I see you have a necklace on. I'm wondering how that's helped you. Um, this probably will turn some people off, but I, I'm okay with that if kind of gotten used to it um i wouldn't have made it through those five years if it wasn't for my faith um i wouldn't have made it through 
fighting my case because I was fighting life. Um, and when you, when you're fighting life, it just does something to you or it doesn't, you know, um, I had to have a lot of faith, a lot of trust and just give it to God because obviously I wasn't doing a good job of controlling the situation. Um, and I've seen, I've seen things happen. I've seen people on their knees in the courtroom praying and I've seen, you know, my situation go from an offer of 25 to life to five years. Um, through my whole experience in prison, I, I, I depended strongly on my faith. And when I came home, I, you know, it wasn't the same. I, um, I was backsliding and I, since I was home, I, you know, didn't have to be so dependent. I didn't, um, I was free now. I don't need you anymore kind of thing. Not, I didn't say that, but that's how I was expressing. That's how I was living. And uh, when this happened, when I started getting call after call after call and just hundreds of letters from women I don't even know, I was like, oh my God, what are we going to do? Um, and I didn't want to have a nonprofit. I don't want to be in this industry. It's an industry. It's an industry. And these are not nonprofits. These are businesses. I should have just opened an LLC. But I didn't. And, um, you know, I started the nonprofit. It wasn't faith-based in the beginning. And then I started to realize there's it's lacking a foundation. And if I'm offering these resources and this rehabilitation, to what end? For what, really? For what? Do I want to just help you get sort of better? Or let's save your whole life, you know? Yeah. How do you really rehabilitate without without being dependent on on god and everything started to come together after that you know i asked my partners what they thought i was like i had to tell you guys something <laughs> and uh, you know i was, was kind of like Oof. how do i how do i say this and i said i just i have to say it, you guys i think um I messed up and I didn't make the cornerstone the Lord. And they said, well, let's do it. But this is how it all started, really. I was looking for a bank. It's always money, right? I was looking for a bank. And I had some pretty screwed up experiences because I wasn't getting it. I didn't get it. I wasn't getting a call back. I was like, oh, it's just because it's Tuesday. So I go into the bank and I said, oh, hi, is the, the nonprofit checking account specialist here? And they said, oh, did we call you? I said, no, I was just hoping, you know, I could get the ball rolling on this, you know. Yeah. And we're going to have to call you back. And I was like, it's your problem. I said, what's going on? She said, well, we weren't able to find your, uh, verify your nonprofit's existence. I said, well, did you know that the two, the, the, the two letters in the middle are I's for Roman numerals, I, I. I said, let me tap it in. And uh, she was like, oh, wow, there you guys are. We'll have to call you back. And I was like, what is going on here? Twilight Zone. But then I realized, oh, you don't want, you don't want to bank. You don't want us to bank with you. Okay. 
So I got sad, got my feelings hurt, and I Googled Christian banks. <laughs> and, um, yeah. uh, you know, a credit union popped up. And I called them and I talked to them and they said, well, what's your denomination? I said, I don't know. And they said, well, what? Do you have a statement of faith? I said, no, but I'll make one. I'll call you back. So I write one. And then they said, well, what is, this is wonderful. What's your, what are your core values? What's your belief system? I said, what do you want me to do? They said, well, you got to tell us everything you believe. And I was like, wow, this is pretty exclusive. This must be good. Hmm. So that was kind of what kickstarted the whole thing. And that's when I contacted my partners. I said, look, nobody wants to bank with us, but the Christians do. But we got to really put it out there that we're Christians. And they, they were like, well, we are. So what's the problem? Hmm. And um, I thought, you know, this is going to benefit us in a bunch of ways because it'll set us apart from the other orgs. So they'll know we're not in competition. You know, we're not even in the same category. We don't want your grants. We're not after your 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 payrolls. None of that. You know, we're not even in it for, for the money. I mean, I can't imagine what's going to happen when we do get money. They're already... Um, have launched some some pretty serious attacks so you know we just can't do this by ourselves and we need that that extra we need it and it's it's worked pretty well and i i i don't i don't remember ever being this confident or happy and 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 um just feeling this level of affirmation and that we're moving in the right direction hmm. since, since we made that decision. When did you start your uh, nonprofit? What's it called so people can get it in their ears? It's Woman to Woman, and we started, it became official in May of 2021, around the same time that we filed the lawsuit with Lauren and Candace, um, which we were initially plaintiffs in. Um, at one point and they was able to move forward without us so we just decided to do that so we could focus on everything else <laughs> since it just keeps growing and gosh yeah. um so can you can you encapsulate what your mission is then or what what you guys are like how many pies or like what's the big biggest pie that you're doing or like what, what's what like organized for my head like what are you focusing um, on? Maybe just this year, like whatever, like makes sense to concretize your mission. We're really trying to develop some top of the line reentry curriculum to prepare women for the free world. Cause this is not the same place they left. Um, hmm. Really focusing on tech literacy um, because it is extremely intimidating when you went in and you had a rotary phone. It's pretty. Um, <laughs> people are mind blown. They're like, what is this DVR? Oh, my gosh. How does the GPS work? How does it know? Um, you know, they'll talk to the AI all night and think that they have a new friend. No, 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 no. You didn't win shoes. You, that person is not a person. It's some just random phone in China. This is. There's so much stuff. They're, they're the scams. They don't know about any of that stuff. They don't okay. know hmm. any of that stuff. So we're we're working on um, developing that. But right now we're trying to get some specific support groups in so that the women can have access 
to women's only support groups to help offset the high demand of mental health services right now because you know there is a crisis that they cause so we're hoping that they'll let us get it in with a support group because there are the men have support groups trans people have support groups it shouldn't be that controversial for women to have support groups Uh, inside the prisons or outside the prisons okay interesting okay yeah um, I mean, I would, to be, be perfectly honest, I, I think a, a facilitator of a group, it'd be much more trustworthy than any sort of official uh, psychologist at this point in, in history. Mm-hmm. And at this point in California, it'd be better for the right. people to work it out with themselves with a nice chill person yes. in between. That's what we're, we're shooting for. Um, you know, we have some really strong sisters inside that would be perfect for, to play that role. Um, hope, you know been in the game for a long time and are the pillars of the community there that would be able to really make an impact. Um, It's just a matter of of, of finessing it in a way that the state will dig it. Um, Is there time up? No, let me... Sorry. (laughs) It's fine, it's fine. It's tech. Um, tech. I'm sorry. We're trying to follow up with something that is um, going to be widely accepted across the board that we can market to everybody. So we like wanna, across the United States, or what do you mean, everybody? The whole the whole incarcerated population. We want to um, sell them this whole uh, uh, you know reentry um, education, so that when we ask for something specific for the women, we can follow it up with. But then there's this. So it kind of softens the blow of us asking for something so minimal that shouldn't be a problem, but probably like will. no penises and in, in, in private cells with a woman. That would be so awesome. Um, because there is that so is what awesome. it is. The penis is so stigma. It, it, it's it's weaponized. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's the first weapon I, w- I was aware of, other than a stick. And 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 that's. That's what the biggest fear is. Once, once the women know if someone's post op, there's kind of a relief. Yeah. Um, Jesus. But I, I, it, it, what they're living with is, I can't even describe the feeling I have because I went in. I haven't been there in ten years, and I was so excited to see my friends. You know, I haven't felt that. I don't think I've been that happy in 10 years and you know, I'm, I'm running to go hug people and then we're not allowed to touch. So we're like, and we start crying and then we're just so thrilled. And people were all, ah. and then I turn and I see this very tall six foot seven lurchy looming, just dark person, dark energy person. And I knew exactly who it was. And exactly who it was. And this person really hates my guts and has written some, actually wrote an article saying that for Lauren and I, that, that we need to be identified, purged and replaced. And um, was it published in like Rolling Stones or Vice or some like excellent paragon of. It was the San Francisco Bayview, which is a historically black liberation newspaper, which is now not. And, um, hmm. You know, this person's walking directly towards me, and I'm 
wow, this is wow. And, you know, we locked eyes and I knew at that point that we were engaged in some kind of psychological warfare. So I couldn't, I couldn't break it. Couldn't break it. I needed to hold my ground. And I was like, this is nuts. This is so nuts. This is really happening. And then I got sad because I was like, this person has been there for 41 years. And if you haven't come home in 41 years, it's probably because you have nothing to come home to. Um, but that's not my problem. So kept locked this person. Um, you know, this was a very private event. There should have been people paying attention to this kind of stuff, but there wasn't. So the person walks through the event, walks to the library, does another lap, goes back into the library. And then the other person that hates my guts is wheeling their wheelchair out of the yard towards us. And I knew exactly who it was. And this is the person who um, was one of the proposed interveners in the lawsuit, Chandler versus uh, CDCR, who the ACLU is defending, um, who reportedly, you know, beat someone till they had a miscarriage. And, um, you know, those are unsubstantiated, but I, they, nobody's proved that it didn't happen. Um, and this person is very, uh, um, very stalkerish with the plaintiffs, um, has, you know, made a lot of effort and intimidating and, and, um, you know, just that whole psychological warfare stuff that, that I don't know any woman is ever really prepared to deal with. And this one locked, locked eyes with me and, it was a long time. It was a long time. It was like the twilight zone. Um, but like everybody else went away and we're just staring. And I waited until like enough people were paying attention and knew what was going on. I waited until there were cops strategically in place. And I said, because I wanted everybody to know, like, I'm not kidding. I really have your back. You're not alone. Um, and I wanted this person to know I'm not playing with you. Um, I don't hate, I don't hate this person at all, but you're not going to do this. You're not going to do this here. And I'm very, I definitely have my eye on you. And then this person went to the library and I'm sure they were in there, you know, having a great time or, you know, just doing legal work. But, um, it was really a trip because this is what the women are dealing with 24 hours a day, even in their sleep. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but they, they're scared to the point of not communicating this anymore. I'm really glad that I got a chance to get in there and experience it myself because you can't dispute that. I can't say it's secondhand information. I experienced it firsthand. These people are above the law. They're yes. able to do whatever they want. They're every anywhere they want to be. Yeah. Um, when people are saying that they show up wherever I am, they're at my doctor's appointments, they're they're at my they're at my classes, they're showing up and visiting at the table next to me. It's because it's orchestrated. There's somebody in there pulling strings. They have someone that's staff that's, you know, showing them the the daily uh, movement sheets. Um, they have uh, the juice. Um, and there's other things going on. There's drugs that are in that prison that have never been in there before that um, 
I'm quite sure being trafficked through, you know, laser hair removal appointments and such. Um, because if you track their appointments with the overdoses, they're around the same times, a day or two apart. Um, so somebody's got to notice. Um, like this what, is, fentanyl you're saying or suggesting? Um, I think that's spice. It's K2. It's the reason why the feds don't even allow paper mail in anymore because you can put it, it's solu soluble. You put it on the paper and, you know, huh. you um, mail it in. But it's probably even better if you can just get it like you would on the street without having to dilute it or anything. Um, and then everybody's on opiate blockers so they don't even know when they're getting high because oh let me tell you about this so you know there's a large nationwide scandal with suboxone right suboxone is an opiate blocker um it's kind of like what's that other stuff called you know methadone uh it's like the new methadone and um they're encouraging everyone to get on it there's a new program um it's like a drug and alcohol program, but in order to complete the program, you've got to get on Suboxone because they're, they're it's the dependency thing. They, you know, they're they're going to fix you with this medicine, right? So this nationwide scandal took place, and the makers of Suboxone were hit with a like was it a four point something like billion dollar fine in order to drop the criminal investigation on the allegations of them trying to get doctors to get everyone on Suboxone. California got $300 million out of this payout um, for the Suboxone scandal while they still push it really heavy in the prison system. So this is tying into the whole harm reduction model. And, um, you know, Newsom really wants for Narcan to be manufactured here in California. What's so. Narcan? Um, that's that, uh, you know, the stuff that they give you when you're overdosing. Oh, okay. And they give that to you when you parole as well. They give you $200 and Narcan, whether you want it or not. Um, okay. Because they have to give it to you. Some women have told me that they told them, I don't want that. I don't use drugs. And they say, we have to give it to you. So... They're giving them that people who have never been on opiates, people who don't have drug problems are now paroling with a very serious addiction. The kick from this drug is so intense that I have a friend who's been off of it for a year, but she still has to take a piece of a pill every two weeks or it feels like her bones are melting. Was Suboxone or Narcan? The Suboxone. Um, oh my God. And I'm not the only one who's noticed. There's a, a, a guy in another facility who wrote an amazing article in, um, gosh, I forgot what it was. It's it's an amazing article. And he's chronicling the just how they're creating a crisis when there isn't one. Um, I mean, when I was there, everybody was on Lexapro. Lexapro was the, you know, uh, flavor of the month. And um, then it was um, Neurontin, Gabapentin. Everybody was on Gabapentin. And, you know, 
the side effects of being on gabapentin when you don't have seizures is a severe brain fog. So that was interesting. Um, and now it's Suboxone. People said that they've told me that that, that they're selling it. Um, I mean, they're finding it in drug busts. Um, you know, there's bullies that are forcing, you know, nondescript roommates to go get on it so that they can sell it. Um, it's it's bad. People are smoking it. They're doing all kinds of stuff with it because it's a state-funded drug addiction. <sighs> wow. It's like, a, it's like Dante's California. It is, <laughs> exactly. And there's so much gnashing of teeth. Um, it is, I mean... That's not all. Oh, no. So I've go. been trying to talk to, um, I think some state legislators might help with this. But I'm going to have to come with a full report for them to really understand that the water is poison um, really bad. The arsenic level in the water in CCWF is 2,029 times higher parts per billion than medically recommended and has been for years. Also, the, is there arsenic there from some industrial crap or? Um, I don't know because they have well water. They don't use the same water as the city or the county. So obviously there's a problem in the well um, because it also has hexavalent chromium, which is the same carcinogen from Kinkley that Aaron Brockovich found in the water. Um, so this probably has something to do with the increased rate of cancer that people get in there. Um, I'll have to do another FOIA request for that, but I, 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 I'm going to have to lay this out for somebody. Um, but it's poison in almost every prison because I think every prison is possibly built on landfills or some kind of dumps. So... Um, it's pretty bad everywhere, but I have kept track of the water in CCWF, and it's consistently poisoned with arsenic and hexavalent chromium. It's pretty crazy. Like, I, it, there's so much stuff. Um, it's hard to focus. It's like um, mm. crisis ADD. Um, hmm. But the biggest issue right now is definitely the fact that there's big, giant guys in there. Because I think that's just, um, that's got to be the worst. I mean, it goes all the way down. I mean, what's worse? That, being addicted to drugs, being poisoned by arsenic. These girls can't get a break. Mm-mm. How do you how do you let go of the stress and possibly the trauma of absorbing all this stuff in your day to day life? How do you keep in the I sun? Haven't, I haven't done a really good job of that. Um, only lately has it really started to like take a toll on my health. Um, yeah. I've been like on a long run. This has been like a really fast paced, crazy two years. Uh, but I do. I have had to take some breaks um really depend on my partners more and delegate i have had to learn how to delegate and at some point i have to turn my phone off in the day 
that's absence is there a presence is there a positive like you're saying like I, i'm trying to turn mm -hmm. away but what do you what do you what do you want to turn toward um what what gives you joy i'm a very supportive boyfriend i have uh you know my my parents are awesome i have the best aunts in the world um you know i've i've gotten so close to all of them over the last couple of years um they keep me in check i i meet with each of them at least once a week um and we share good news and bad news and then exchange prayer lists and stuff i never really saw myself in this position at all i didn't really think that i was going to be um calling ladies for prayer requests <laughs> Hmm. but it, it happened and I'm, I'm you thought you're gonna be a badass for your whole life is that what you I, I, well i didn't think i was gonna live this long i really thought i'd be like you know cap out of 30 because you know what's cool nothing happens after 30 right but here i am 41 and um this is pretty awesome i never i never thought i'd be in this position um but i am and i really want to max out on it i want to use it to the best of my abilities and um it's it's I guess being able to, to share the good things and the little miracles is what really keeps me going. I mean, that trip inside was like, I shouldn't have been there. You know, the prison just told the Christian post I was a liar. <laughs> There's, um, it was a miracle that I got to go in and I sat in the parking lot 10 years ago, just crying my eyes out like, Oh God. I hope I get to go, just let me go in again, you know, when I grow up or let me go back in and help old people back out, you know, um, just let me use that time for the greater good. That's all I want. And 10 years later, I got to see it happen. And um, then there was people I got to see that I wasn't supposed to see. Uh, there were people, there were hugs I got to give that were not allowed to happen. Um, and there were people, I mean, it was crazy. People that I've been corresponding with for two years now that were running up like, oh my gosh, it's you. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's you. <laughs> um, people's voices who I recognize because we talk on the phone once a week. Um, and I just turned around and was like, oh, hi, friend. It's It, it was just those kind of things that made all of this worthwhile. All of the drama, all of the, you know, five hour million hour millions of miles to get up there um all of the the anxiety we had about getting inside you know thinking oh gosh are they gonna let us back out um <laughs> it was all it was so worth it because um, it was scary we were thinking you know it's just none of us none of us my my team of three had been back since we paroled and one, you know, she was a life without uh, my other partner. She did 17 years and um, it was scary. You know, they, they hadn't been uh, on prison grounds since they paroled. I've picked a couple people up. So I've been, you know, in the parking lot, but never yeah. this far in. And it was, you know, I feel like we, we beat, uh, you know, one of our biggest bad guys that day by going in and getting over it and seeing that we can do it it's accessible. We can actually be present and be more helpful. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I'm still like on cloud nine. I can't believe, I can't believe it. It was, um, 
It was freaking awesome. And then there were ladies that came um, who have paroled, who were like some of the most important women in my life while I was there. Um, the ones that just, there's one lady, she was the in the Women's Advisory Council um, chair. And I used to go to the law library all the time just because I wanted to read. And the first time she saw me in there, she said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm reading. She said, no, what are you doing in prison? <laughs> and I said, oh, well, I don't know. And she said, we better figure it out. And she just was like a mentor for the entire five years. And for her to come in as a free woman and us to be there together was phenomenal. You know, these are women that taught me how to be a woman. And we got to come back into the pits of hell together. And uh, I just felt so unworthy of that that whole blessing. And that is going to keep me sustained for at least the next few months until, you know, battle. We, we face the next battle or we get over this hill. Um, What's the hill? What's the hill? set back right now? Um, God. <laughs> It's well, a steep one? incline. I don't know what's at the top of it, but it's steep. I can tell you that. Well, I, I feel like every day I just make it bigger unintentionally. But oh, okay. I told the girls, like, look, we're just going to have to completely turn California over. It has to flip because the entire nation follows suit with politically with every trend that California sets. So we just have to um, somehow reprogram the entire state. So yeah. we're eating our Wheaties. And, um, yeah, yeah pace yourself right because this is a big one it's um, massive it's massive but i i don't see any other alternatives the other alternative is um i mean and don't quote me on this i shouldn't say this it's it's uh national divorce uh, california and uh, florida and texas go in a different direction california goes in the west coast goes in another direction and slowly by slowly the values shift where they're ir ir irreconcilable either it's cruel and unusual punishment to put a male in female prisons or it's cruel and unusual punishment to not let a male in female prisons it's either it's either child abuse to transition a child or it's child abuse not to transition a child that's where we're going with this issue and i think it's going to be replicated in other issues but like they're irreconcilable they're th mm -hmm. you can't have those two things at the same time you cannot have one country that has those two opinions mm -hmm. so and Oh boy. I mean, they've been talking about it since forever, you know, it's time to just get California out. <laughs> um, but so, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, baby I, steps. I, I'm ready. You're doing <laughs> I'm great ready work. How can people support you? How can people support your, uh, your endeavors? Um, they can visit the website. Um, financial contributions are always appreciated because we don't have state or federal funding. Um, I'm not going to say that we never will, but being that we have taken the stance that we have, um, it's a little more complicated for us. Yeah. Um, and that's womantowoman.org? Um, yes, yes. It's woman, I, I, woman org and we can always um, use stamps because we do a lot of corresponding and um, regular uh, postage stamps. They've gotten a lot more expensive, um, and huh. you know, so you want people to mail you stamps? 
Mail us stamps. And we do freedom campaigns for women. So there are postcards. We'll send like hundreds of postcards to the governor's office. And we need postcard stamps. Those are always very helpful. Um, But money would be super good. Uh, It would be awesome to, you know, get my partners some laptops. Um, Mm. I mean, we have our little equipment, but it's definitely... um, it's definitely not matching or we don't have some, anything top of the line. We'll yeah, say that. You guys, you guys, uh, the ACL, the ACLU has, you guys a bit, um, outmatched for funding just a bit, right? Just a little bit. They, <laughs> wow. And they really hate our guts. Um, yeah. Cause they're okay, all about Liberty, cool. right? Um, I thought that was pretty awesome. I was like, wow, the ACLU is intervening, is trying to intervene in in this lawsuit? Wow, this is huge. And that's when I finally was like, this is not small. This is a really big deal, huh? Um, Then I understood even more why Lauren and Candace are so busy, because this is like a big, big one. that 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 was you know scary and exciting at the same time to know that that we're that big of a threat and um oh my gosh at the same <laughs> same time yeah. but this isn't just you know um exclusive to the state prisons this is going on in the county jails this is going on in the feds um the chaplain from the county jail that i fought my case and reached out needs help because this is becoming a, a, a greater problem in there um women's prison in texas there is the most heinous crime i'd ever heard in my life um i actually just got the medical records from that i'm not going to stop until the entire prison staff is federally indicted for is there a way for you to communicate what happened um there's a person who was transferred into this women's minimum security federal prison who raped several women and their last victim was injured so bad like i've just never heard of anything so cruel in my life And I've heard a lot of stuff. I mean, I've experienced a lot of stuff, but this woman um, was mutilated, you know, Um, and the prison denied her reconstructive rectal and vaginal procedures. And even in the notes, the doctor was like, "Um, I don't, for unknown reasons, denial for unknown reasons. Um, And it took you know, two more visits before things were approved. But um, the first two victims were put in segregation and shipped off. Um, They want to separate you immediately so that you don't corroborate or cook up any lawsuits or anything. And um, this third victim, I just, the deliberate indifference, just the indifference, just just give her more laxatives. Nothing Nothing else rips, you know? To have to be in that situation and know when you're in the feds, who do you call? The feds? You know, there is no next level of, of, of accountability after them. Um, 
And I didn't know how how isolated. That's real prison. The feds are that's real prison. Your mail is highly um, um, regulated, monitored. Uh, you can't even get mail from people that aren't on an approved mailing list for you. Um, and there's no one to complain to. There's no there's no number. There's no hotline. What do you do? And then when your your staff is corrupt and your even the chaplains are corrupt there. Um, what do you do? I don't know what they do, but I know what I'm going to do. And, um, and I'm not going to, that's that one. Mm -mm. I just am taking that one so personally. That's, um, the lady's never going to be the same again, mentally or physically. And, uh, they owe her one, uh, because all of this was preventable. These are preventable crimes against women. Um, if they know these things are happening, I just don't understand why they would continue to pass this toxic trauma around. They're not doing the, the, the attacker any favors either because that's not offering them an opportunity to rehabilitate. You're putting them in a, in a position where they will reoffend. They have, they will, they will, you know, they will. And, um, <laughs> It's wrong for everybody. As much as I don't want to prioritize rapists, they they are not being done any big favors in this whole legislation nightmare either. Wow. It's not easy to say that, you know? <laughs> no, no, I understand. I understand, Amy. Your heart is huge. Um, you, you have a very big heart, and uh, you've bitten off a lot. Um and I hope that, that this small interview like does a little bit more to push awareness of what's going on. Um, it's really difficult to look at the trans thing. People will look at different aspects of it, the sports, uh, the detransitioners, drag queen story hour. But like what's happening in prisons is like, I don't think anybody really wants to look at that. Because it's... Um horrible and there's so many things that i don't share because it's i don't even i don't even think it's fair for me to fill people's head with the kind of stuff that they can't handle you know like it's just going to scare them away and they're not going to be able to process any of it if i really tell the scary stuff um Jeez. so i say that for my patreon now <laughs> um, <laughs> sign up to my locals uh <laughs> david fincher is making the movie the the actual stuff going on but um yeah their stuff i'll just never be able yeah. to see because it's freaking nuts it's yeah. um yeah it's not even happening in third world countries this is some uh, um really depraved demented stuff and I'm telling you, it's nationwide in every every kind of carceral institution this is happening. Well, Amy, thank you for the um, lighthearted romp through uh, women's prisons today. I learned a lot and my heart has changed. Um, but seriously, you're doing phenomenal work and, and I really appreciate getting a chance to speak with you and support you in my small way. Thank you. I really wish that my headphones would have worked so that I could have 
All right. Maybe next time. Maybe I'll have an update for you and I'll have my <laughs> More okay. scary stories. No, the audio is fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry about it. Thank you very much. I'm going to end the recording now. Mm -hmm.